Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, December 6, 2020. The share ID numbers from Friday, December 4th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,916. That's 15916. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,917. That's 15917. Today, A Vision for You presents Step 10, The Acid Test. Step 10 states, Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. We're taking a look today at the AA 12 and 12, the essay written by Bill Wilson on Step 10. The first paragraph reads the following. As we work the first nine steps, we prepare ourselves for the adventure of a new life. But when we approach Step 10, we commence to put our AA way of living to practical use, day by day, in fair weather or foul. Then comes the acid test. Can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live to good purpose under all conditions? The purpose of steps one through nine is a personal transformation leading to a spiritual awakening. With Step 10, the big book tells us, sanity has returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. The process of looking at our character defects and our wrongs that we began in the fourth step continues with this step. It is a lifetime occupation of evaluation and correction. The big book states that we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This step tells us how to maintain and continue to grow the new state of serenity and freedom we have achieved. Yes, it is a test, an acid test of the success of the serenity and freedom we value. It's an essential part of the program of recovery and of what the big book calls its design for living that keeps the promises coming true in our lives. Joining us today to elaborate on this essay on Step 10 in the AA 12 and 12 are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Panelist number one, Lisa B. from South Carolina. Panelist number two, Maria F. from Ireland. And panelist number three, Reva P. from Canada. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome Lisa B. to begin 
on page 88. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm very happy to be here with all of you. Um, I'm going to be sharing my experience and my understanding my hope um, on pages 88 to 80 to 90, <clears throat> the first seven paragraphs of step 10 in the AA 12 and 12. And um, Leah did such a great introduction. When I came here to OA, you know, I didn't believe it was possible to have permanent recovery. And I have found through studying our big book and the 12 steps that I really can have permanent recovery. And one of the ways that I support my recovery is actively, vigorously continuing to be in step 10. And I found it very helpful um, to write out the directions from the big book on page 84, write out point by point what the directions are of how to do a 10th step. But when I look at step 10 in the 12 and 12, you know, it's an essay. There's not really directions, but there's wonderful reflections and insights and really good um, meat, you know, for me to chew on and to absorb. So I wanted to share just an overview of these paragraphs. The first thing I have found lately very helpful to do is to daily read pages 60 to 63 in the big book, step three. And, you know, this is a great point for me to jump into step 10 because I need to understand what my problems are that I'm alcoholic and I cannot manage my own life, that probably no human power can relieve me of my alcoholism, my compulsive overeating, and that God could and would if he was sought. And in that third step, I learn that my whole problem is by li trying to live by self-propulsion. And it's that selfishness and self-centeredness and being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity and that all of my problems are arising from myself. So once I've done the, nine, the first nine steps, I now can live this adventure of life because now I can live in freedom. I can continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And one of the ways that I have found with step 10 is becoming self-aware, you know, and learning that I, I need to keep, I must keep an emotional balance to live to good purpose. You know, other people can handle those big variations in moods and outlooks, but I need to start to see that my thoughts are investments. You know, what am I thinking? What are the messages I'm running on all through the day? Because that's what I'm growing, you know, in my garden. I love the saying, all action is born in thought. And I just realized I totally forgot to set my time, so I'm just going to reduce my time a little bit here. There we go. I said it. All right. Um, it says a continuous look at our assets and liabilities and a real desire to learn and grow are the necessities. Why do I need to have this? Because my problem is when I get blocked off from a higher power, I'm in dangerous waters. And it says the wise have always known that no one can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit. So how do I do that? I like to leave little notepads. Um, I carry a notepad with me in my purse. I have one in my car. I have one in the bedroom. I have one in the kitchen. When I was working, I had one at work. And the moment I have that disturbance of any kind, I make a little note of it because I need to do a 10-step on that if I'm not able to share it with someone immediately. But in that moment, 
I can, I can turn to God and ask for help by using those directions that we see in the big book. And then it talks about an emotional hangover. And that's going to start to interfere with my today because I'm living on yesterday's and sometimes today's excesses of negative emotion. And this is where I really need to look at thoughts and emotions as investments. You know, if I'm feeling crummy, guess what? There's going to be something crummy coming around the corner and it's going to be coming out of me, you know, not out of you. But I'm often going to want to blame you and thinking it's coming out of you. So I need to learn to get comfortable with this whole idea of um, self-awareness, self-examination. And it, it says that we don't need to morbidly wander around in the past, but it requires an admission of corrections errors now. And I learned that in the skill set of how to do a fourth step, you know, living in that fourth column rather than just seeing what you have done wrong. But I can do this with joy and happiness, not with dread and annoyance and irritation. The first time I learned about 10 steps, I said to myself, there is no way I'm going to do that. In fact, I thought secretly, my sponsor, she really needs this more than I do. That's why she needs to work so hard at this program. She's so much more far advanced in this illness of compulsive overeating. I didn't share that with her, but I secretly thought that. And that night, I went to the movies with my husband, had a disagreement with him, and didn't do a 10-step. And I almost lost my abstinence that night. I immediately came home, shared it with my sponsor, and she asked me if I had done a 10-step. And I said no. And I realized that this is life or death. I've got to do 10 steps. You know, so I wanted to share some things that have helped me in the big book. Uh, One of them is on page 66. It says, it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. And then it goes on to say that this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found it fatal. And it's interesting because a few pages before that, they talk about how that selfishness, Um, You know, we die. We die. It says we must or it kills us. We must be rid of the selfishness. By living an active life daily, you know, even if I'm not with a lot of people, if I'm living by myself, you know, I still am living an active life, interacting with the world's events. I've got to be able to do 10 steps. I need to know how to do them, but I need to see the extreme importance that my very life depends on it because it blocks me off from my source of energy and fuel, my higher power. The other thing is I grow in understanding and effectiveness, which is wonderful. You know, the things that have plagued me for so many years that have been frustrating, now I'm finding efficient ways of living and interacting and it does bring me a lot of joy um the thing in uh the 12 and 12 it talks about the different types of inventories there's a spot check inventory which is what the big book really refers to it's my walking around step it's continuing all through the day and that helps me anytime i get tangled up and then there's the one we take at the day's end and I, I really interpret that as an 11-step nightly review. So really, they're discussing all types of inventories here. And then we have an occasion when alone or in the company of my sponsor or spiritual advisor, I can look at um, 
some issues that maybe have been bothering me. I can do an annual or semi-annual house cleaning. And it says many of us also like to experience occasional retreats from the outside world. I believe my experience is if I'm regularly doing 10 steps vigorously, not minimizing anything, but really working and living in those 10 steps, I don't always need to do a deep inventory. But I will share an experience when I came back from the wonderful convention that we all had, um, I needed to do I needed to do a mini inventory, I guess like a big 10 step or a small fourth step if you wanted to call it that way, because I had some emotional dry benders going on. I had some disturbances like jealousy, envy, self-pity, hurt pride, and I really needed to write those out in a thorough deep inventory. So we don't have to categorize it. As long as we are doing these deep inventories and we have a thorough understanding of the value and the importance and it's telling me that they don't have to be joy killers, you know, and they don't have to be time consumers. But what I get out of it is, is so amazing. I love on page 90 when it talks about the spiritual axiom that whenever I'm disturbed, and I've heard it said that step 10 is the art of living undisturbed. You know, and why? Why do I need to live undisturbed? It's because I'm learning my reliance is upon something powerful, you know, my higher power. It's no longer me running the show. It's a new way of living. And I wanted to just share that I love utilizing all of the chapter, how it works and the prayers, but it says we trust an infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role God assigns. Just to the extent that I do this, as I think God would have me and humbly rely on him, does God enable me to match calamity with serenity? So when I'm disturbed, in part, you know, even if someone has harmed me, I still need to look at my fourth column. You know, I lived so many years of my life always looking at what you have done wrong. And what did it do? It just kept me angry. I continued to see where other people were wrong. I never really saw, you know, what I had done, what my, what my side of the street was. Um, let's see here. Oh, it says here, few people have been more victimized by resentments than of we alcoholics. A burst of temper could spoil a day. A well-nursed grudge could make us miserably ineffective. Boy, that is so true. Anger, that occasional luxury or for more balanced people can keep us on emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders often led straight to the bottle. You know, and that reminds me in the big book how it talks about, and I have done this before so many times. It says on page 37, in some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. So this is a, this is a safety net. You know, in, in every way, it's a safety net. It keeps me linked and plugged into my higher power. It really can keep me happy, joyous, and free. And I learn to have a better understanding and how to improve, you know, how to correct and improve these defects. And I share it. I do my 10 strips just like it describes in the big book. Um, let's see here. What else would I want to share? Taking 10 steps has been so valuable. A fellow called me a few weeks ago to share a 10 step that she had 
had a cleaning person come in and help her clean her house and she had a resentment that it wasn't done very well. I got so disturbed by listening to this 10 step and I, I had a memory come back of a time years ago when I was in my early 20s when I was a maid and I did not clean people's homes. I just couldn't wait to get the money and leave. And I had totally forgotten about that. So that awareness came back to me and I was able to write an inventory on it share it with another recovered fellow and I found ways to make amends, you know, and I continue to get freer and freer. So listening to other people's 10 step is also such a joy. Um, I also want to share an asset for me because it says in this second paragraph, a continuous look at our asset. And I heard it shared in an AA meeting the other day that our assets is that we have a real desire to learn and grow by this means and that we understand it's a necessity for us. It's life or death. And I think that's all I feel led to share. I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B., for sharing your experience on the paragraphs. Now I welcome Maria F., and we're going to ask Maria uh, to begin on page 90, the fourth paragraph, and she'll be bringing to life the fourth paragraph through the last paragraph on page 92. Good morning, and thank you for your service, Maria F. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for your service, Leah. My name is Maria Atherton Frank, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Dublin in Ireland. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this panel this morning and sharing on Step 10. And um, yeah, I'm delighted with the topic today, Step 10, because it was a step that I misunderstood and I certainly underutilized during my early years in recovery. And I'm just going to spend just a couple of minutes just to qualify myself in before I share my experience with Step 10. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in August of 2011, and, and I came in because I was absolutely beaten by this disease. Um, and my first phone call had been when I was I was about 18 or, or 19, and um, yeah, I remember you know talking to the lady on the line, and I certainly wanted what she had, but I didn't want to do what she did. You know, I didn't want to put down the food, and, and I knew that's what she was talking about. Um, and it took another 27 uh, years of eating before I finally put my bum on a seat in the room because I knew the game was up, you know. My life was absolutely unmanageable and every relationship that I had was in trouble, you know. And, you know, that page, the difference in page 52, you know, um, I could take every single one of them, you know, and I was hopeless and felt that I was in this pit and I just couldn't see a way out. And I tried everything to manage the weight, the food, and um, the binging and the purging, and nothing worked, you know. It would work for a while, and then it wouldn't work. Um, and when I came into the rooms, I could see people in the rooms and whom the problem had been solved. And, and I knew from what they shared that they'd suffered just as much as I had. And um, I knew from their spirit and their, their peace and serenity that they weren't doing the food what I was doing anymore, you know. Um, and I didn't understand the nature of this disease, you know, until you told me in the rooms, you know, what the problem was, that I had a twofold illness, you know, a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And uh, the idea of a physical allergy made absolute sense to me. You know, I felt like you'd give me a piece of the jigsaw that I'd spent years looking for and this piece just fit, you know. And um, 
And my weight during my eating time, my eating career, I call it, you know, it fluctuated from over 200 pounds where, you know, I couldn't walk without getting a rash between my legs and out of breath and a clothes full of wardrobe, a wardrobe full of clothes that just didn't fit. And um, I'm five foot three, so um, 200 pounds on me was a lot of weight. And then I would go to the other end of the scale where I was under 100 pounds and, and my mental cycle had stopped and um, people were concerned about me, you know, and... Um, I remember as a child, you know, I'd go to birthday parties and I'd be the last girl standing at the table with the food. Um, the other kids would go out to play and they'd get excited when the birthday cake came, but um, they'd forget about it. They'd go on their way and uh, I didn't forget about it because you know, I wanted to be with the food more than I wanted to be with people. And I would have mentioned on the lines before that when I came into OA, it was very small in Ireland. You know, there was a handful of meetings and a handful of members and I came in three years, three times in succession, I mean, in, in that year and uh, in August. And yeah, thank God I found a sponsor. Um, I found somebody in whom the problem had been solved and, and had a spiritual awakening through the steps. And, uh, you know, I had, when I came in, you know, I call it, you know, the bargain God, the conditional God. You know, you do this and I'll do that. Um, and that's how I operated because I was full of self. You know, that self-reliance and self-sufficiency and full of fear, you know, that corroding thread was full of it. Um, and I had to work the steps in order to be free of the bondage of self because self was my problem and it was self that was blocking me from God. And, and step 10 is a very important step for me today because it's the step that keeps me unblocked from God. And it's a step that, you know, I, um, I've learned and, and I've grown so much from over the years. And, and I love what you said at the beginning, Leia, that, you know, Phil wrote this essay after 17 years of his experience with step 10. And how I work step 10 today is very different to how I worked at an early recovery. Because um, today, I need to do step 10 throughout the day. You know, it's whenever I'm disturbed that I need to share that with another recovered member. Um, and, you know, today I get the gift of sharing step 10 with recovered members all over the world, you know. Um, and that's an absolute gift. Because there was a time in my early recovery where I would have worked step 10 from the wall in the room. That's how I worked it. And I'd look at the wall and uh, look at the step in the wall and I'd say, you know, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Well, I understood that to mean that, you know, I say I'm sorry. You know, I go to the person, look for absolution and I'm done, you know. And I wondered why for a long time I had so much unease. And the truth is, I wasn't really taking responsibility for my behaviour, you know. I thought that you did step 10 when and the disturbance was you know, um, of the emotional or the really big stormy nature, you know, <laughs> not in everyday disturbances. And um, it was when a member came here to Ireland a few years ago to do a big book study. And during that weekend, she talked a lot about step 10. And that was an absolute turnaround for me. You know, she outlined step 10 as it's instructed in the big book. Um, and on age, page 84 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it gives me those instructions. It shows me exactly how to do a step 10. You know, I don't have to guess it or make it up myself. You know, I'm shown exactly how to do it. And it says, you know, we continue to take personal inventory and we continue to set right any mistakes as we go along. And it doesn't say, you know, after we go along. It says as we go along. And that means continuing throughout the day. Um, because whenever I'm disturbed, I have to continue to look for where um, self is being involved, you know, where have I been selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid? Because they're the things that are going to block me from God. And if I want to stay in the sunlight of the Spirit, and I do want to stay in the sunlight of the Spirit, 
I need to keep aligned with God and, and to keep unblocked. And um, as it was told to me by my sponsor, you know, I don't just work step 10 for a day or a week or a month. You know, I work it for the rest of my life because um, it's not about maintaining, you know, that means staying the same. You know, it's about growing. And uh, how we do that is, is living in 10, 11 and 12. And and um, and the importance of that spot check inventory. And, uh, you know, Bill writes about it here in the 12 and 12. You know, he reiterates this when he says on page 90, he speaks of the importance of the spot check inventory. And he says, the spot check inventory taken in the midst of such disturbances can be a very great help in quieting strong emotions. The quick inventory is aimed at our daily ups and downs. And, you know, I had a great example of that the other day. I was in the car and I was just in time for an appointment and I was trying to park in a, in a really tight space and um, this woman just came out of nowhere and she cut across me. And uh, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I got a fright. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see these three Three young girls are coming home from school and I could see the shock in their face too, you know, um, of what she had just done. And um, I could feel myself, you know, that emotion just go from naught to 100 in a nanosecond, you know. And that's the place where I have to catch that because I could give her a look, you know, or say something to her that'll cause her a harm. And I get that window of opportunity, you know, just that second and that pause where I need to bring God in and ask for help. Um, and that's, I know, I parked up the car, turned off the ignition and said, God, help me here. And then I can just, you know, bring myself back to, bring myself back down, you know, because I'm in the emotion. And um, and I got to go for that appointment without any baggage, you know, because I could carry that situation into the whole weekend, you know. Um, and uh, I'd be still thinking about it today, you know. And uh, your page 91 of the 12 and 12, it says, nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. We must avoid quick-tempered criticism and furious power-driven argument. The same goes for sulking and silent scorn. These are the emotional booby traps baited with pride and vengefulness. When we are tempted by the bait, we should train ourselves to step back and think. For we can neither think nor act to good purpose until the habit of self-restraint has become automatic. What a great paragraph, you know. And to sum up this paragraph, it's telling me, you know, I need to keep my thoughts to myself, you know, so that I don't say something I regret. Because when I'm disturbed, and Lisa would have referenced this, you know, the disturbance is always mine. You know, it's never about the other person, you know. Um, I have a part in everything that goes on for me in my life. And the bait for me, you know, my bait is the pride and my self-righteous anger. Um, and this need, you know, the need I would have had to have this, the last word because these are the character defects that I really need to watch for to keep vigilant around because so what Bill describes is the emotional booby traps and they come from my thinking, you know, um, because it tells us in the big book, doesn't it? You know, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in their mind. And if I want to live differently, then I need to think differently. Um, and Bill doesn't give us very many actions in the 12 and 12. However, he does describe self-restraint as an action, you know, and like any action, it requires practice. And I certainly, you know, I don't do it perfectly. I do it imperfectly, but, you know, it's about progress, not about perfection. Um, and, you know, on the big book, in the big book on page 87, it also reminds me, you know, I need to pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or the right action. Um, and it says action. You know, it doesn't say emotion. It says action because the words I put out have consequences. And, 
you know, some words can never be taken back. So I need to think before I speak, you know, and ask myself, you know, just think about what I'm going to say, you know, is it thoughtful and is it helpful? And most of all, you know, is it kind? Um, and I've also had to learn to be really careful with emails, you know, and texts and WhatsApp and, and definitely restraint of fingers and thumbs too, because um, it's that email, you know, that you could, uh, I've often, you know, written and said, maybe I'll put that in the draft box, you know, and look at it again tomorrow. And tomorrow it could be a very different, with a night's sleep, a very different email that I'm going to send, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, just think of the other day, so, you know, the 22 year old daughter, and she's doing fine in year college exams. So I get plenty of situations where I could react, you know, and that's where I need God's help, you know, to help me to respond rather than react. Because for years, you know, in my cups, I reacted to my emotions and, and hurt so many people, especially my family, you know, by saying things that I can never take back. And uh, reminded of the workshop yesterday, you know, I need to dip my lip and just uh, mind my own business, you know, and allow other people to be wrong. You know, without feeling that I have to be right or that I have to have the last word, you know. And a question I'll often ask myself, you know, is do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? Um, because I don't know about you, but when I start thinking that I'm right or I'm better than you, I'm, you know, what Bill calls the 12 by 12, he calls it the big shotism. And, you know, if I'm in that place, I'm in trouble. And I need God to just help me right, to right size me, you know, and uh, right size this ego. Um, because the truth is, you know, I'm recovered today only by the by, by the grace of God. Um, and it's that, yeah, he, he also talks here about the silent scorn. And, uh, yeah, gosh, for me, you know, it's, uh, that was using a strange of tongue for me in a negative way where um, I could give you the silent treatment. You know, that's what I could do, give you the silent treatment because if I'm hurt, you know, I'd want to hurt you. And I'd, I'd, I'd use that restraint of tongue in a negative way. Um, and that's a very destructive behavior. And certainly in the food, that was a lot of behavior that I used, you know, just giving that silent treatment. Um, and, you know, on page 25 of the big book, it says there is a solution. We have a solution here. You know, we have a solution. It says, almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. And this tells me that, you know, I don't have to like the process of 4 to 9. You know, I don't have to like the inventory process. But if I want to be free of self, then I need to do the work. You know, I need to take the action. Because if I have a disturbance at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I think that I don't have to inventory that at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like, you know, sitting in a dirty nappy for eight hours and wonder why I have a rash, you know, um, when all I had to do was take that 10 minutes, you know, write it out, share it with another member and turn my thoughts to somebody else I can help and clean it up. You know, because if I want to live in this fourth dimension and I do want to live in this fourth dimension and be useful um, to God and those around me, I need to take the action. And it's practicing these principles in all my affairs. And, you know, all my affairs means every day, you know, Monday to Friday, you know, um, and I don't get the weekends off. Um, yeah. And the big book tells me, you know, that when I straighten out spiritually, the physical and the mental will be taken care of. And it doesn't say when I get abstinent, you know. Um, and what it tells me is, you know, I need to get right with God because when I'm right with God, then I'm right with everybody around me. You know, I can be of help. I can be of use. Um, and I was always looking for the easier, softer way. 
and somebody um, told me the program, you know, and I know it today, this is the easier, softer way. You know, I have found a solution in these rooms. And uh, and this, you know, for me, the 10th step process, it keeps me unblocked and keeps me aligned with God. Because if I'm blocked from God, he can't use me. You know, I'm of absolutely no use. Um, and I never know on any one given day how God wants to use me. You know, he might just need me to carry the lantern for the stuff and compulsive overeater. You know, because... It was that lantern that guided me home and that light that guided me home. You know, so I just need to turn up and I don't need to do um, God's job, you know, but God help me just do the work. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Maria F. And I welcome panelist number three, Reva P., who will continue to bring this essay to life, beginning on page 93. Of course, we're in the AA 12 and 12. Page 93, the first paragraph, to the conclusion of the chapter. Good morning, Reva. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. So I have been asked to share my experience, strength, and hope with you um, about... Bill's Reflections on Step 10 in the AA 12 and 12. So first of all, the acid test. And as Leah mentioned at the beginning, an acid test is a conclusive test of the success or value of something. Can this program be successful? Does it have value for me? So Step 10 is one of the crucial components to that value. The first thing I reflected on when I read step 10 was the word continue. I came here thinking I was going to get, quote, control of my food, learn the course, graduate and leave and get on with my life. So the concept of continue did not appeal to me. I wanted to finish, I wanted to arrive, I wanted to get somewhere or something and be done. And the concept of continue is still potentially a challenge for me because I'm always wanting to finish. I'm always wanting to get there. So this reminds me, and it says it, what, four times in the uh, big book, continue, continue, continue. And what does that mean? That means to persist in an activity or process, carry on, keep up. And it also means to recommence or resume after an interruption. So that reminds me that I need to um, continue, continue, continue. And so in steps one to nine, I learn a skill set. And in step 10, 11, 12, especially 10, I practice that skill set. So what is my practice? My practice is according to the instructions in the big book, which is... um, and actually, before I go into that, I want, why do I do this practice? Why do I do this? Because the root of my problem, once the food is down and the physical allergy is not calling to me, the second aspect of my disease is this mental twist, this not being able to differentiate the true from the false. And I get blocked from power, which shows me the truth. I need power to deal with and relieve me of the selfishness. And I can't access power if I'm blocked. So once I get unblocked after step nine, 
I continued to get blocked. I continued to get resentful and scared and self-pitying and all that stuff. So I need to keep my channel clear so I can access power in step 11. I access power not only so that I can be at peace and at ease, I access power so that I know how to be useful in this world, where to go, what to do, what to say. So 10, 11, and 12 for me are very much interlinked. So what is my practice? It says, after I've entered this world of the Spirit and I want to keep my channel clear with my power, my next function is to grow. And the only way I have learned to grow is by practicing step 10, which shows me continually where I am off the beam, where I'm off the mark, so that I can then ask God to remove that, clear the channel, access power, and be of usefulness. So the key words for me in the step 10 instructions that I just wanted to highlight are watch. Watch. I'm aware, I'm awake after finishing step 9. What am I watching for? The core defects, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Then what do I do? I ask. Who do I ask? I ask my higher power. Because by this time I've developed and started to begin a relationship with that higher power. Um, So here I already have steps four, six, and seven. And then what do I do? I discuss them with someone immediately, um, step five. And then I turn. What do I turn to? I turn my attention to somebody I can help. I can only know how to help somebody once I am unblocked and I've accessed power and asked. So it's watch, ask, turn. So by practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and doing this over and over and over and over, then I get to the reflections here in the AA 12 and 12. The first sentence that I was asked to share on made me smile inside. What a sense of humor my higher power has. We can try to stop making unreasonable demands upon those we love. I didn't think I had unreasonable demands. I thought my demands were justified. So thank you, God, for steps one to nine and then repeating it over again in step 10. What were my unreasonable demands? I have come to learn that unreasonable demands are not just a to-do list that's too long. Unreasonable demands, when I do this work in step 10, I am aware now that I attempt to fill my instinctual needs for safety, security, self-esteem, that, um, what is it, that second, no, the, the third column. I try to fill my instinctual needs through other people. I assign them the role of make me feel fill in the blank. I don't know that until I do the work and I share it with somebody else and I see the dishonesty, the faulty beliefs and faulty expectations Um, So that's been a huge learning curve that it's not my children's role in life to validate me, to make me feel uh, appreciated. It's not my job's um, purpose to give me self-esteem. I do it because it's a calling, because it's what God has told me to do uh, and where to go and how to do it. Um, So that has been huge for me. And at the end of the instructions in the big book of step 10, it tells me 
to turn my attention to somebody I can help, and love and tolerance of others is our code. And last Sunday we learned a lot about the details of love and tolerance as our code, but it's just in line here with Bill's reflections. Once I've cleared my channel, um, I can be more loving and tolerant um, and be the way my higher power would be with others. And it goes into detail on page 93 about courtesy, kindness, justice, and love are the keynotes by which we may come into harmony with practically any, anybody. And I guess some of the purpose of this 10, 11, and 12 is to have harmony with others and get right with myself um, and right with God. Um, the other thing that really struck me on page 94 is says, it says uh, we should carefully examine our motives. Um, and that is a great reminder for me that sometimes I do something that might appear to be kind and generous, just like it talks about in pages 60 to 63, kind, generous, um, giving, but I'm really doing what I'm doing for an ulterior motive to get, again, value, attention, security, self-esteem, fill those instinctual needs. But I don't know that until I do the Step 10 process and share it with another recovered person. Um, so for me, the same action with the wrong motive turns out wrong. And I feel uh, lousy. <laughs> I feel really icky. It doesn't work anymore. It's like I used to be able to get away with this stuff, but once the food is down and we have started um, being recovered, it's like having a magic wand that used to work and I would flick the magic wand and huh, I could make, make you do this so I feel that. Um, and it just does not work anymore. It just does not work. And that ickiness and that disturbance is a great indicator that I'm not in right alignment with my power. I've been blocked off because I'm motivated by self. And that's what it talks about, that the pains of failure are converted into assets, and pain is the touchstone of all spiritual progress. I would love for that not to be the case. I would love to say that I'm here to become spiritual and grow because I just want to be spiritual, but that's not how it works. The way it works is I get disturbed, I get pissy, I get resentful, I get scared, I start doing self-pity, and I get so disturbed. It is so emotionally uncomfortable that thank you God I am motivated to do the work which is you know initially I had to write down these aspects of the step 10 instructions now I have like a template in my head so um, I can do it pretty quickly share it with somebody 5 10 15 minutes done on with the day right alignment with my higher power where do you want me to go who do you want me to be with what do you want me to do um, so, yeah, pain becomes the touchstone of deeper and deeper spiritual progress. I don't think we learn more about this program. I think we go deeper. The depth and weight, we go deeper and deeper on that deeper spiral. Um, so then um, this uh, essay on Step 10 concludes with sort of the promises. And I guess I would like to remind us all of the promises when I do the work and I practice, practice, practice over and over, what happens? 
I react sanely and normally. Another key word is cease. Ceased fighting. Fighting everybody and everything. Fighting to make everybody and everything go my way so I can be okay. This is about getting right with me, with God, with others. I can match calamity with serenity. I am not fighting everybody. I'm in this position of neutrality. My kids could do what they do. My husband does what he does. The world does what it does. And it doesn't rock me off my beam. And I need to keep and fit spiritual condition. Um, it says the same thing at the end of the 12 and 12, learning daily to spot, admit, Correct my flaws is the essence of character building and good living. This is about living well, um, not just about abstinence only. And I'm warned in the paragraph after the promises in the big book that if I don't want to practice, 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 um, and I would like to rest on my laurels, I'm headed for trouble because the food will start calling. And I am not cured. I'm given a daily reprieve. I always think of it as I have a 24-hour battery. It's gone. Um, you know, once I go to sleep, I have to recharge and keep that battery charged all day. Um, the other thing I wanted to share, um, I think, is just, again, this business of continuing. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I think for somebody like me, that's the hardest thing. If you give me something that's very defined, start, I can start it, um, most of the time finish, but to continue, um, I don't know, it sort of sounds not so exciting. Um, continue, continue, persist, persist. Um, and I would never think to work with a trainer at the gym who would get me in really good physical shape and that I could never go to the gym again and I'd be in good good physical condition. So the same thing applies to spiritual fitness. Um, and I just wanted to conclude with um, sort of the promises of this step as outlined by the person who wrote The Keys of the Kingdom on page, I probably have the page wrong. This is an old edition. It's around 311 in my big book. So she says, AA or OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It's a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being, being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this program. As arrested compulsive overeaters, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others, non-compulsive overeaters, may idle in, retrogressive, in a retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds, as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line, for we find that we are more than compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends, and I would say promises, we receive. So that's all I have to share, and with that I pass. Thank you so much, Reva P. Thank you to our three panelists, Lisa B., Maria F., and Reva P., for bringing to life Bill W.'s experience based 
on their personal experience as recovered compulsive overeaters. Thank you so much for sharing your personal insights and specific examples of how you apply Step 10 to your individual lives. Much appreciated. Contact numbers for our panelists will be given at the conclusion of the recording. So stay tuned for that. We will transition now to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to one of our panelists by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name as well as the initial of your last name, please. Mary F. Mary F. Freya H. Who H? I'm sorry. Freya. F-R-E-Y-A. Freya. Yes, good morning, Freya. Sherry C. Sherry. Sherry C. Jason K. And Jason. Shelly E. Shelly E. Anyone else? Okay, let's start with this group. I have Mary F., Freya H., Suri C., Jason K., and Shelly E. Go ahead, Mary F., please. Hi, thank you so much, Leah. This is Mary F. I'm a compulsive eater in Florida. Thank you for the panelists uh, talking on Step 10. I just finished my reading and writing on Step 10 just today from this from the 12 and 12. I love it. I have a question, uh, particularly to the third panelist. I can't remember your name. I'm sorry, but all panelists could respond if they would like. It is on the second paragraph on page 90, the spiritual axiom. It is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. I would like the panelists to expound on what that wrong is, um, how they look at that wrong, and um, how they define what that wrong is. That's all. Thank you. Thanks, Mary F. Reva P., I believe it was posed initially to you. Hi, this is Reva P. That's a good question. Um, when I'm disturbed, what is the wrong that's wrong with me? So when I'm disturbed, uh, let's say disturbed is resentful. Um, somebody's not doing what I want them to do. Um, then what do I do? Um, I look at who's disturbing me, what's the cause, what is it affecting? It's affecting my perhaps self-esteem, my security, my ambition, to not be annoyed by that person, to have that person do what I thought they were going to do, um, my relationship with that person, and sometimes my financial security. Then I look at how am I being selfish. I think the word wrong is the same as you know my mistake, my defect. Uh, I'm out of alignment with my higher power, which means I'm motivated by self. And my wrong is usually related to selfishness. I want people to do what I want them to do. And self-seeking, I get judgmental, I criticize, I get pissy, um, etc. What's the dishonesty? People should do what I want them to do. People should operate the way I operate. The world should have the same values as I have. What's my fear? Something's not going to get done. Something is going to get done that's going to harm me. Um, I ask God, at once to remove my fear, my resentment, my disturbance, um, make amends if I need to. Have I insulted that person? Been um, been bitter on the phone with them, um, and then turn my attention. So the disturbance and the wrong 
um, related to the disturbance is usually related to selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear. Um, Because the truth is, the world will operate the way it operates. People will do what they do. um, And I need my higher power's help to help me accept that um, and deal with when, you know, basically we do, I do my meditation in the morning and we're all like nice and spiritual and guru and nirvana and you walk out the door and I've heard an AA speaker talk about this. You know, you walk out from your little meditation and then people start doing things that piss me off. So my wrong is um, I'm expecting them to do things and operate the way I think they should. And um, I think by working the steps, I learn that's not how it operates and I can be okay. I can be okay um, I can match calamity with serenity, and it's only calamity based on my faulty beliefs. So I hope that answers the question. Thank you, this Lisa. This is Lisa. I've, yes, I Lisa, did want go to ahead. address that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, this is a great question. So when I am disturbed and there's a resentment, I find often that there is some sort of a dishonesty that I'm seeing myself, but it takes me a while. Uh, I'll do the inventory and it's still lingering. I still feel resentful. Often it's because there is something in me. I'm seeing something that I've done. I've done what they did to me. So an example is I had a customer that did not give me the proper notice before they, she didn't show up for her appointment and I was so resentful and I did a 10 step on it, but it wouldn't go away and it kept lingering. And I prayed, what is it? What is it I need to see about this? And then the memory came back. I have done that to two professionals that I was able to remember a dentist and an acupuncturist. And I needed to call that dentist and that acupuncturist and make amends. So often it's because I am seeing myself in them. And then another time a person really irritated me. I thought they seemed so pompous and arrogant. (laughs) And I kept thinking about it. I did inventories and I saw how not to the same degree or to the same obvious scale that that person was doing it, but I saw how I was arrogant and pompous. It just showed itself in a more subtle way. So that, that often is something that comes up for me. And I hope that insight helps you. I pass. Thanks, Lisa B. And of course, thank you, Mary F., for the question. Freya, something quick to that, just with Maria F. here. Yes, please go ahead. Thank you. I just, yeah, for me, it's those wrongs are, you know, when the basic instincts are affected. You know, when when that gets ignited in me, you know, the social um, or the security instincts, you know, are, I think you're going to take something from me or I'm not going to get something that I want. Then I'll have a disturbance around that. Um, and that's where the wrong, that's where the wrong can come up in me. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add that bit. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, panelists, and of course, thanks, Mary F., for that important question. Freya H., your turn. Hi, this is Freya. Go um, ahead. I have a, thank you. I have a question for any any of the panelists. I would, just would love to hear um, your thoughts and experience about taking a 10-step, because there is... There's a lot of directions about doing one ourselves, but not a lot about how to receive one. So I'd just love to hear any any thoughts about that. Thank you.
Yes, panelists, which who would like to respond? What about your experience receiving 10 steps, taking 10 steps? Well, um, my name is Lisa. I can share. Um, I, I listen. Um, I listen to them. I ask if they would like feedback. And I wait for them to answer, you know, yes or no. And I also, when I'm listening to the 10th step, I will ask my higher power quietly, help me to be useful, help me to hear whatever it is I need to hear that could be of benefit or use to them. And uh, I listen. And I, that's it. <laughs> Share my experience, strength, and hope if it applies. And uh, I hopefully, you know, they understand how to, how to give a 10th step. And um, yeah, so I hope that that helps, that information. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, this is Reba. Yes, I, go I ahead, comment. Reba. Mm -hmm. Hi. You know, taking a 10th step for me is like taking a fifth step. It's really a miniature, quickie version of 1 to 9. Um, and when, I sh when somebody shares it with me, it's really like somebody sharing a fifth step with me. So yes, I pray and I ask God for guidance, but what is my purpose? Why is that person needing to share it with me? Um, I do ask if the person wants feedback, but for me, what I want is I want somebody to be able to have perspective. I'm seeking spiritual counsel because I can't see what I can't see. I get as far as I can get. Um, I need, um, I think, to point out to the person where they're being blocked, where the thinking is faulty, where are they selfish, dishonest, um, resentful, fearful, um, and then guide them through the Step 10 process so they can get unblocked and access power and get on with their day with power instead of wasting the day. So I see the purpose as helping somebody unblock the same way I would do in a Step 5. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva. Thanks, Freya H., for posing the question. Suri C., star one to unmute with your question. Hi, Suri C., I'm from Connecticut. Um, so I, my question is, um, with regards to the 10 step, uh, well, sorry, what the, what the um, speakers have said, I'm so grateful for their message. Um, in terms of depth and weight, so, you know, grow, like, that the, the, this is a spiritual process that continues to spiral and go in depth and weight. So my personal difficulty is that um, I find that I'm so deep in the food that um, and I have some spiritual, you know, progress just coming on this line and participating every day, but I, I can't even get to two days of, of abstinence. Um, because I'm going through a personal struggle not related to the food, um, but everybody wants to help me by giving me food. Um, that's how they're all expressing their, their concern for my personal situation. So, and, and in terms of cease fighting, right? So, I mean, God help me, I, I'm, I'm, you know. So my question is how, you know, how do I, how do I mean? How do I even get to two days of abstinence when my personal struggle is such that everybody 
literally everybody just like if they don't see me eating then they want to offer me food if they see me eating that's great but it has to be that's if, if food i just yeah so um i guess that's my question how do you you know how do i make sense of this in terms of a 10 step or a or an even one through five step because um, yeah I'll take that question. Yes, we'll take one panelist on that, please. Thank you. Hi, I think um, you raise um, a really important larger question, and that question is, can we do step 10 when we're not abstinent? Um, can we get the promises of 11 when we're still in the food? And in my experience, if I'm blocked by the food, um, and I haven't begun these steps in sequence, which means I start with step one, with the food down, I can't access power because there's two blocks, right? We're blocked by food or I'm blocked by a defect which is coming out of selfishness. So I don't know that it's fair to expect ourselves to get these promises of step 10 um, when we're not abstinent and I'm also, um, I think that raises another important question. Can we do step 10s when we're on step one? So um, I don't know what other panelists feel about that, but in my experience, um, working with others yeah. who have tried to do a step 10 while they're at step one um, doesn't really have much of an impact. So no, I thank you for the question. Thank you, Suri, and I certainly uh, encourage you to reach out and connect regarding step one. Thank you so much. Let's continue our questions on step 10 with Jason Kay. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, this is Jason Kay, um, recovered outside of Philadelphia. Thank you, thank you everybody, um, our panelists and the topic. Um, I Maybe I'm a person of extremes, maybe you can relate. Um, there are times when I maybe feel resistant to doing 10 steps. Uh, maybe I, I want to kind of push things off and do my own thing. And then the opposite of that spectrum is I get really um, hyped up about um, recovery and I want to do a 10th step on everything. Ooh, I stubbed my toe. I don't like that. You know, oh, this person looked at me cross-eyed. So um, maybe the question is how to find um, balance. How do you get unstuck? Do you ever feel like, um, yeah, maybe you're you're doing ten steps unnecessarily? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. My name is Lisa. I can go ahead and try and answer that. Please do. Uh, um, I find that my step eleven, my connection with my higher power, um, really helps me. The the three ways of doing step 11, doing them all through the day in the morning and my nightly review, the stronger my spiritual connection is, the less 10 steps I need to do. Um, so that does help me have that balance and that perspective in there. When I'm not spiritually fit, I do need to do more 10 steps. When I'm more spiritually fit, I do less 10 steps. But there are times that I've done 10 steps where to someone else's point of view, they might say, wow, that's a really small thing. But 
um, like if I'm in traffic and a truck is in my way and I can't get away from it and I'm going, I'm fearful I'm going to be late and I'm getting angry, I'll do a 10 step on that, you know, and someone else might say, oh my gosh, just blow it off. But I'm disturbed. I'm upset. You know, I need, I do a 10 step on that. And that's just been a very rich experience for me, a very fruitful growing process, you know, of continuing to take 10 steps that way, but definitely being spiritually fit helps me for sure. Having to needing to do less 10 steps. Thank you, Lisa. Any other panelists want to comment? Hi. Yeah. And yeah, I certainly think that for me, if the resentment lingers, if you know, I have resentment or I'm disturbed and um, and I bring it to God and it doesn't get removed and it's still an hour later, I'm still icky and I'm still feeling it's, it's still there, then I need to share that with somebody else. I need to pick up the phone and just share that with somebody and get somebody else's perspective on it. Um, and often, you know, it'll be in my nightly, in my step 11 nightly review that I will notice there's something that I missed during the day. When I'm in the review, I'm thinking, yeah, that's still around. So, yeah, a couple of times during the week, you know, in the evening, um, because I don't always know when I'm disturbed. So it'll be in that night review that I'll catch it. And then I think, okay, I need to, I need to share this with somebody else. Um, I don't want to go to bed with this. But it'll only be when I, I'm doing the step 11 process and I can often catch some step 10s within that. So, yeah. Hi, this is Reva. Um, Please my go. thoughts on... I can totally relate to all or nothing. I mean, that is me. That is one of the key characteristics of us real addicts. Um, but re regarding the all, like doing too many step tens, I think um, I'm not exactly sure of the specifics of your situation, Jason, but I, for me, um, if I'm doing this, that raises the question, like what if it keeps coming up over and over? Like what if we're step tening the same issue over and over? Um, like, am I being self-critical? Am I just beating myself up for every little thing all day long? Um, that, that's a defect. That's selfishness, you know. And, and the lie is that I'm, I'm so terrible and I do everything wrong or I'm worse than everybody or wherever that's going. Um, but if it's coming up over and over, then I think it can go three different ways. Um, do I need to do a more in-depth inventory on that one specific defect? Um, and then it goes backwards in the steps to maybe six and seven. Am I really ready to um, have God remove it? And am I getting some kind of payoff or benefit um, from the defect? Um, and then sometimes we just need to, I think, um, do a lot of step times on the same issue because it gets me further ahead each time. But for me, it's usually, I have to start, when it comes up too many times, I have to start looking at what's my payoff. What is sort of the weird, almost unconscious benefit of a defect? Um, because um, being too critical of myself um, is not in alignment with um, a higher power's will as I conceive it. So I don't know if that answers it, but those are my thoughts. Thank you, Jason Kay, for your question. Shelly E, star one to unmute. 
Good morning, Shelly E., a recovered compulsive overeater in North Texas. Thanks, everybody, for your time and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And my question is kind of um, along the same lines as Freya's was. I was wondering if two of you, and there might not be enough time, if two of you could do a mock step 10. Um, and really from both aspects, from taking it and from giving it, I think that a lot of times we just say, oh, I just do a step 10 on that. But I think it's kind of um, overwhelming when you're thinking, oh, my gosh, now I have to call somebody. And then sometimes when I receive um, or take a step 10, I'm not quite sure that I'm doing or, quote, unquote, doing or saying the correct thing, or even if there is a correct thing. Um, so I was just curious if we had time for maybe two of you to do a quick step 10 with each other. Thank you, Shelley. Is there a panelist that could demonstrate the the uh, work of of doing a 10th step? Giving a specific example, please. Panelists, Reva, Lisa, Maria S. Well, this is Lisa. Um, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you have one handy. The deadening silence. Ta- um, time to pull back the curtain. <laughs> See, it's even hard so, for them. Um, <laughs> I was thinking. Hey, you, it's gave, 400 of your closest friends. Let's do it. Reva gave such a great example just a few minutes ago where she kind of went through it. Of, um, So, well, goodness gracious. Um, Ah, boy. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I wish I hadn't been the first one to speak up, but I was just going to say that I thought Reva did such a great example of just a few minutes ago of going through it. But so um, when I had the customer not show up, if one of them, one, if either Maria or Reva would like to take that 10 step from me. Sure, I'll take it. Go ahead, Lisa, I'll take it. Oh, thank you. All right, so uh, um, I I will go ahead and share a 10th step with you, Maria. I have a a resentment. Um, My customer didn't give me notice that she wasn't going to come to the appointment, and she just just didn't show up. And this uh, this affects my self-esteem. It affects my financial security and my ambitions. And there is fear. And I'm going to say a prayer for her. Um, God, Susan is perhaps spiritually sick like me. Please help me to show her compassion, patience, and tolerance. Now, this is how I do a 10th step. Um, selfishness. She didn't follow my script. She didn't do what I wanted, what I expected her to do. I'm not looking at her problems, her situation. I'm concerned with my needs. The dishonesty, I'm expecting her to be different. Um, I have done the same thing. The um, fear is of financial insecurity, of speaking up and of not being understood. Those are my, those are my character defects. And then I'll say, um, God, I'm relying on my finite self and it never works. And I ask that you please remove this fear and 
direct my attention to what you would have me be. And God would have me be honest and approach the customer, reminder of my, my policies. I need to enforce my policy, policy that a fee, she has to be charged a penalty fee. Trust in God that um, God is taking care of me. And then I'll probably need to do a fear inventory of her being angry, you know, when I give her this fee. So I'm fearful of her disapproval, of her criticism, of her being angry at me. So I'll say the fear prayer again. And um, God would have me trust in God. And then I'll, I'll do the seven-step prayer, turn my thoughts to another that I could be of service to, and ask Maria, Maria, do you have any feedback on this? Yeah, Lisa, just thanks so much for sharing that with me. And I can, I can hear the turnaround and, and your desire to just trust in God with this and approach the customer, you know, and get honest. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, how does this come from your expectations of it being different? And, um, you know, and, and identify with that part when people don't follow our script and what, that, what, what can happen for us there. And, you know, I just maybe, you know, you know turn your thoughts to somebody you can help. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing the step 10 with me, Lisa. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shelly E., for the question. And thank you, of course, to Lisa and Reva P. for participating in that. Okay, we have time for more questions regarding Step 10. Three panelists have brought to life the personal insights, reflection, and essay on Step 10 in the AA 12 and 12. Who else has a question for the panelists? Star 1 to unmute. Michelle G. in California. Michelle D. G. as in George. Thank you. Reggie O. Reggie. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. This may be the final invitation for questions. Sharon K. from Toronto. Sharon K. Rachel F. Rachel F. Anyone else? Going once, twice, three times. Okay. Michelle G., go ahead with your question, please. Thank you. Michelle G. in California, Compulsive Reader. My question has to do with the part of the 10th um, step what, that deals with dishonesty because I can't, I find it hard when I'm doing a step 10 to know where I'm being dishonest because I look it up and I see um, deceitful, I see um, fraudulent, you know, what does it, and and I don't, I don't, for one thing, I can't tell the truth from the false is what I tell myself. And, um, you know, pray and ask God and it doesn't seem like I can tell what dishonest is in a particular step 10. So if you've got some insight or on that, I'd like, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, I could um, address that question. Yeah, I too originally thought, you know, the classic definition of dishonesty is telling a lie, being deceitful, maybe cheating money. But what I've come to learn for me, according 
the way I interpret the big book, that dishonesty is what are my false beliefs. Um, and I usually learn what those are or what the major ones are, again, when I've done my step four or five. So step 10, for me, this disease is not so brilliant. You know, I, I have like the same core old beliefs and um, they get healed sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, uh, but it always comes down to the same kind of thing. So for me, the dishonesty is what is the belief that's faulty? And that could be something like people should do what I think they should do. Um, people should value what I value. The world and its people should do exactly as I want. Uh, life should be fair. Um, yeah, it's, it's more things like that. Um, a lot of the shoulds. Um, and that usually, usually it's the dishonesty that drives my fear. Um, they're not going to do something um, or they are going to do something and then the fear is I'm not going to be okay. So for me it's more about the faulty beliefs and I think we learn the core of that in step five and perhaps when you share step tens, the person you're sharing with, if they're recovered, can help you identify those. And that's how I've learned what mine are by sharing it with um, people who have recovery and perspective on my condition. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle G., for the question. Reggio, your turn. <clears throat> Reggie, star one to unmute, please. Leah? Yes, I hear you. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just got convinced my phone. Never mind. But uh, they, uh, first of all, thank you. This was a wonderful topic, and thank you so much for the rich wisdom and experience and shares to all three of you. And, you know, I'm looking at this, you know, the first um, continue in, in the 10th step and is continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. And then there's a period before we discuss them. And um, I, you know, I've, over time I've talked to people and, you know, and some people will uh, do, you know, the first part in the moment, you know, ask God when, when, you know, you recognize it and uh, ask God at once to remove it. And uh, that if it's removed, then it's done. And uh, there's no need to follow through. So that's the first part of this. Um, that's the first part of this that I'd love to hear your thoughts on about that. And then the second part is, you know, and I just, when I was reading this, I hadn't thought about this before. It says we continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And it seems as if we're, it seems as if 10 steps are generally a resentment inventory. And then we talk about the selfishness, the dishonesty, and fear as a part of that inventory. And just any, any insights or uh, that you have around that or experience, I would appreciate My name is Lisa. I'll go ahead and share. Um, this is a great question. I was taught to do a 10-step um, according to the big book directions and that I do share them with fellows. But when that 
wonderful relief and freedom comes when I ask my higher power to remove the resentment and to remove the fear in the moment because that's the first direction and it's lifted. I was taught that I can still call a recovered fellow. Now I do that because um, I take everything literally in this big book. And when it says, you know, we immediately share with another and that's what I do. I share it with another because the disease of compulsive overeating really loves to isolate. And I like to keep everything private and I don't want to do that. So once that relief comes and the wonderful answer is there, I will still call a fellow and I will share it almost like as a great news report. You know, I was disturbed. I was angry. I was frightened. And I saw what my character defects were. And I mm-hmm. share with that person, this is what I saw. And then now I'm, I'm feeling so good. I was able to turn my thoughts to another because it's my way of keeping that channel um, open with my fellows because that's what I need to do every day. And that's what the directions are, you know, to share it with another. Often though, I don't get that relief and, um, I do then share it then as a 10 step where I'm feeling blocked and I need guidance, you know, or if you feel any spiritual insight or direction to share with me. And then the second thing that you ask about, yes, it is most often a resentment or a fear, but still, even during the day, um, I can get this thing that comes over me where I just am tearing people apart, you know, in my head where I'm criticizing them or I feel envious or I feel jealous and I haven't caused an outward harm, but it's in my thinking, I will share that in a 10 step. And I share it often as a self-seeking, you know, criticizing someone in order to feel better or something like that. So it's not always just cut and dry as a resentment or a fear. It's any kind of a disturbance. Um, I could be feeling envious or just annoyed and I, I love hearing that any kind of an annoyance is really a resentment but a lot of times I'm denying that it's a resentment so I don't I don't know if that helps you but uh, that's how I practice it I pass yeah that was great thanks Lisa thank you Reggie for the question Sharon Kay your turn Star one to unmute, Sharon. No? I hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm interested uh, around the taking of a tenth step. I have someone who is chronically in self-pity and still has like a coat of armor on around, um, you know, so wants to do a tenth step, but there's a piece about not wanting to um, what there is to see and I'd be um, now in fairness her, her situation she is in a very difficult life situation right now but I'd be interested in hearing um, about how to take a 10th step with someone who is um, really in self-pity thank you who has experience Hi, this is Reva. Go ahead, Reva. Thank you. I have experience with self-pity. I'm raising my hand here. Um, so when I, I can share from my experience doing a 10th step and the feedback I get, um, for me, if, if this person is truly at step 10, um, 
if it's self-pity, it'll go like this. Um, such and such happened, um, and I feel less than crappy about myself, my self-esteem, my security, ambition to feel good about myself is affected, perhaps relationship with the person, um, possibly finances. Um, but it always comes down to um, what is the selfishness there? Um, I'm trying to think of a specific situation. It, it usually comes down to the dishonesty um, that I'm that things are awful. It's uh, it's like my catastrophic thinking. This is terrible. It's never going to end. God has dropped me. Life isn't fair. This program is you know just not working for me alone. It works for everybody else. Um, I guess the selfishness is not wanting the situation to be the way it is. The self-seeking is, you know, wallowing in self-pity. But what is the lie? What is the faulty belief under self-pity? That's where the key to recovery is. Um, that it's not going to work out. Um, I'm not okay. I won't be okay. Which segues into fear. Um, and then fear, you know, self-reliance is, I don't know, do 20,000 affirmations to not feel self-pity, make myself feel better, rationalize, but trusting and relying on God. How would God have us be? How would God have me be? God would have me be somebody who perhaps accepts an icky situation, um, perhaps realistic, you know, it hasn't changed. I don't know if it's going to change. And God would have me uh, trust that I am okay, I'm valuable, I'm going to be okay. And then God would give me the strength and courage um, if there is any constructive action, which is sort of like an amends to myself and everybody around me. Is there something constructive that I could be doing to take responsibility? Um, Self-pity for me is about being the victim. I'm, this is being done to me. I have no choice pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. Um, yeah, so what, can, what responsibilities am I shirking from, avoiding, shrinking from that I could take um, in trust that God can and will solve this problem? God is there for me. So that's my experience. I pass. Thank you, Sharon Kay, for the question. Our final question for the morning comes from Rachel S. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, uh, all panelists. I kind of got my answer ready, but so I'll just um, say so. What if a specific, um, I'll call self-seeking behavior, just comes up again and again and again? And for me, it's um, a lot of anger. Any insight on that? Thank you. Well, my name is Lisa. I'll go ahead and speak up on that. Um, so is this, I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind sharing, what step are you on yourself? I'm living in 10 and 11 and 12. Thank okay. you. Okay. Well, my, the, my experience with the longstanding anger and resentment is that they become friends for me and eventually I will eat over them I don't like to part with them that's that's the whole thing you know as we're going through the steps I, I learned this I don't want to part with it and I have to look at step six 
and pray for the willingness to let it be removed. You know, often something that is causing me pain, even though it's painful, it's still familiar. And I don't know what I'm going to be like or what life is going to be like if this thing is removed. And it's a journey. It's an adventure. Um, but I had a long-standing resentment and anger about, uh, you know, my brother died at a young age and I called a recovered fellow and he reminded me about what the big book says about resentment, you know, and that it's, I will die. Eventually I will die. I can eat over it and that I must see the value in being willing to release these things and praying for the willingness and staying in step six for a while, really reading step six, talking about it, praying for the willingness to be willing, and then taking action steps, getting out of myself, doing service. That's what helped me. I don't know if that really answered your question. I think you also brought up self-seeking. So you're, when I'm doing self-seeking, that's because I'm trying to give myself some relief. I'm trying to make myself feel better. I'm being driven by either selfishness, dishonesty, or fear, and I engage in self-seeking behavior to try and get that ease and comfort. So there is something there that I'm not getting free of in my inventories. So that's dangerous territory. You know, that's when I start doing some compulsive behaviors and I can lose my abstinence, and I hate the feeling of being blocked off from a higher power. Um, I hope that helps you. Maybe one of the other panelists has some other insight. Yeah, I would, uh, this is Reva, I would agree with that totally. Um, and for me, when I, I know resentment, I have been an angry angryaholic um, in my life. When, for me, when a defect is coming up over and over and over, you know, yes, perhaps it's about doing a more thorough step four, but for me, I go back to step six, and if I'm not really entirely ready, which I'm obviously not if it keeps coming over and over, I need to look at the payoff, and you know what the biggest payoff for indulging and being angry with people all the time and situations is I don't have to take responsibility, and I don't have to change I want them to change. I want this to be different. If only, you know, the biggest dishonesty, if only the world and its people would do what we want, page 60 to 63. And it says we get a charge. What's, you know, what's the motivation for having this anger? I don't have to look at me and I don't have to change. And we all do this rah, rah, yay, yay for change in the 12-step program. But you know what? It's really hard and it's really uncomfortable um, and I will do anything and everything in order to avoid that. So when it comes up over and over, I need to start looking at common denominator, it's me. Um, and this book tells me the only thing I can change is me by keeping the food down and doing the work. So that's my extra two cents. Thanks. Thank you, Rachel F., for the question. Thank you to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our three panelists, Lisa B., Maria F., and Reva P. Thanks for giving so much of yourself and sharing your experience and personal insights regarding the application of Step 10 in your recovery. Much appreciated. Again, the share ID for today's presentation, 15,929. One five nine two nine, and it's time to close. And we do so by reading 
from page 164 in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.